Hi family, whether you're joining us from your home or a watch party with friends, neighbors, family, your community group, or our pastors in our church building, a warm, heartfelt welcome to you. We also welcome our children and high schoolers who are joining us live and on-site in our morning services. If you're between the ages of 18 and 35, our young adults are meeting live on-site every Sunday evening at 6, so don't miss out. The move of God is truly unstoppable and it's such a privilege that we get to carry His presence wherever He sends us. Join us as we position our hearts to receive God's Spirit afresh in worship. Change me from glory to glory I'll understand more of who you are I'll open up, I'll open up my heart now I'll let you into my deepest part And as you change me from glory to glory I'll understand more of who you are And the more I see you, the more I grow to love you So many reasons to pour out my the atmosphere changes As the King of Heaven is enthroned in this place Cause our worship changes atmospheres That's why we'll never stop praising you 
There's no turning back, Lord. Where you move, we'll go, Lord. What you say, we'll say, Lord. What you pray, Lord, we'll pray. There's no turning back. No turning back at all, Lord. Amen. And mountains are still being moved. And strongholds are still.
is here right now. He is here right now. Don't miss out, don't miss out. He is here right now. Do you perceive him? He is here right now. He is moving. He is moving. Oh. When he moves, there is freedom. He is here right now. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. 
and love so undeniable I I can hardly speak and peace so unexplainable I I can hardly think as you call me deeper still 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 Thank you, Father, that you are a good, good Father, and that we can experience and see your goodness manifest all around us. Even despite any challenges we may go through, you remain a good Father. And I pray for everyone that's with me in this service today, that they would experience your goodness, your goodness in their family, your goodness in their relationships, in their finances, in their health, that in, in so many places people will be able to testify of the goodness of God. And we thank you and we worship you and we love you, our good Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, now is our opportunity to give. We give, we give cheerfully, we give gladly, as the scripture says, because we love the Lord, because He's so faithful to us, He provides for us. We, we respond in worship by giving to Him from our finances also. We also give because we believe in the work of the church. We believe in the role the church plays in spreading the gospel and in its role of making disciples and equipping the saints for their 
call and for their work of ministry. So thank you for your faithfulness in giving. Right now, just follow the prompts on your screen and give uh, in response to the Lord and His goodness in your life and as His word commands. Well, for the next couple of weeks, uh, I'm going to talk with you about just a small mini-series that I've entitled Saying Yes to Jesus. Uh, we had a wonderful time in the book of Acts and with our, in our Move with God series. Uh, and we're going to start a new series uh, a little bit later. But for now, I want to talk with you about saying yes to Jesus. And I, I wonder what it means to you to say yes to Jesus. I'm aware that with me today in the service, there's many that have said yes to Jesus. What, do you, what does that mean? How do you think that happened? How did you say yes to Jesus? There, there's some here that may even be considering to say yes to Jesus. And there may also be others that are actually saying no to Jesus at this time, that have made a choice to say no to Jesus. What does it mean to say yes to Jesus? And, and to help us understand that, I want to take us to a portion of Scripture in Matthew 19. So I'm going to ask you, if you have a Scripture with you, if you have your Bible with you, won't you turn to Matthew 19? And uh, we're going to basically read from verse 16, uh, but let me set it up for you first. In uh, Matthew 19, there's two occasions recorded for us where people are coming to Jesus and they want something from Jesus. And in the first occasion, the disciples wants to stop the people from coming to Jesus, but Jesus allows them. In the second occasion, the disciples allows the person to come to Jesus, but Jesus ends up talking to the person and actually turning the person away. And this to me speaks of the kingdom and how often the kingdom is so different. It's, we sometimes say it's upside down because it, it is so different in, in its way of thinking and how it operates from what our usual experience in life is. And, and we see this happen, for instance, here in Matthew 19. The first occasion where people came to Jesus was when the parents brought their children to Jesus and they wanted Jesus to bless the children. But the disciples looking at these children thought that they were not great candidates for the kingdom of God. They, they, they were not really in a place where they could receive the kingdom. And so they didn't want them to waste Jesus' time and bother Jesus. So they hindered them from coming to Jesus. Jesus heard about it and then said, don't let the children, don't hinder the children from coming to me. Don't stop them. Don't interfere with them. And then Jesus allowed the children to come and then he blessed them. And then the second occasion is the story we're really going to focus on today, is this event where an upstanding, socially, climbing, upwardly mobile young man comes to Jesus. And he's a wealthy man of standing and in the community. And, and to, the, when the disciples see him, they think, man, this is a great recruit. This guy, he's, he's right there. He, surely he can fit into the kingdom. Surely he will say yes to Jesus. And so they allow him to come to Jesus. And then we're going to read this great conversation, but actually ends up with this young man saying no to Jesus and turning away from Jesus. So right here, we already see that sometimes what we think it means to say yes to Jesus or how Jesus will say yes to us even, we don't get it quite right because the kingdom operates on a different framework and a different reasoning than what we do. So what does it mean to say yes to Jesus? I wonder if you can just take a moment and just think about it. If you have said yes to Jesus, what does that mean to you? Why do you say, I have said yes to Jesus? What have you done? What, what can you mark as this means I have said yes to Jesus? Or if you said no to Jesus, why did you say no to Jesus? Or if you're contemplating saying yes to Jesus, 
what do you think that would look like if you had to say yes to Jesus? So let's go to this story in Matthew 19, and uh, we're going to pick it up from verse 16. Just then, a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? I don't know how many of you remember the, the old uh, Indiana Jones movies. And uh, in, the, in the Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, it's the stories being told of uh, Indy's dad that is looking for the Holy Grail. Um, and, uh, and he gets himself in trouble, so Indy goes to help him. And uh, they fight through Nazis and they fight through snakes and everything. And eventually they get to the place where the Holy Grail is. And, uh, but the problem is that you have to drink from the Holy Grail to get youth and eternal life in a sense. And, uh, and, but when they're looking for it, the only way you'll know it's the Holy Grail is once you drink it, it'll give you the life. But if you drink from the wrong one, it'll kill you. So they have to be very careful to figure out now which one will give eternal life. And they go through this whole story and, and, you know, and that's why a movie's made. And movies are made about this idea of youth and eternal life, eternal youth, eternal living, because it is something that we as human beings search for and long for. And this young man, uh, this rich young ruler, this upstanding young guy that seems to have got it all together, even he's asking that question. He comes to Jesus and he says, you know, what must I do? What good must I do? According to you, Jesus, what good must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, many of the commentators say this young man actually came with a bit of an arrogant attitude of thinking that he's already got it. He, he's actually testing Jesus. He's not really, in a sense, asking Jesus what, what, what he needs to do to inherit eternal life. He's more asking, what is it that Jesus would expect of him? Because he's, he actually believes he's got it. He actually believes he's done it. And that he wants to prove to Jesus that he's good enough and that, that he is acceptable to Jesus and that Jesus should uh, accept him uh, as one of his followers. And so he actually believes he said yes already to what it means to follow Jesus, what, uh, what it means to be a, a child of God and, and a son of the kingdom. And uh, so he just comes and he's, he's in a sense testing Jesus. And with this question that he asks, when he says this, this question is a very important question. What teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Now, let me first of all say that the, the, the title he uses for, for Jesus, teacher, is a title that interestingly was never used by Jesus' own disciples when they referred to Jesus. Uh, except on one occasion when Judas, after having betrayed Jesus, after having announced that he's no longer part of Jesus's group. Uh, he used that word in, in its original language in the Hebrew. He said, Rabbi of Jesus. It's a title that meant respect. When people used it, they showed respect to Jesus, but not commitment. It was therefore used by people that were around Jesus, but not his own followers. They never spoke about him as the teacher. Um, and so this young man says, teacher, and it's so much like today. How many people say Jesus was a good teacher? People that want to have some form of you know, respect for Jesus. They don't necessarily want to commit themselves to Jesus, but they have respect for him. Teacher, they call him teacher. What good thing must I do to get eternal life? And this question reveals for us right there, this young man's belief system is revealed. He believes that to get eternal life, it's about the good that you do. Good works and being a good person and doing good is what qualifies you 
for eternal life. And this surely reveals his Jewish upbringing and his teaching and training in the law. But I think it also reveals to us the, the general thought pattern of mankind when it comes to how, what qualifies us for, for eternal life. What would qualify us to, to be a person that is respected, a person that deserves actually to be uh, accepted by God. We generally think it's the good things we do. That's why he asked Jesus, what good must I do to get eternal life? And uh, this is often where Christians uh, are, are find it difficult when we're trying to share the gospel with the people of this world. Because Christians have this claim, according to what Jesus said, that the only way to eternal life is through Jesus. So as Christians, we claim, therefore, that we know the way to eternal life. We know what it means to be good. And then people of the world turn around and say, how dare you as Christians say that you know what it means to be good? How dare you say that you're the only ones that are good enough to inherit eternal life? How dare you say that, that other people aren't good enough? Um, and then people will say, look, I, I look at some Christians and they don't look like they're good enough to me. They don't live up to the standards of good. Uh, and, and perhaps I can point at some other people from other religions or even people that have no religion and, and look how good they are. And, and can you really say to me that they're not good enough to inherit eternal life, but Christians are good enough to inherit eternal life? And because we make it about what good must I do? What good must I do to inherit eternal life? And Christians nowadays are even in a, in a more difficult position. You know, in years gone by, Christians were often viewed as the good moral people, people that at least had a sense of morality. Nowadays in our society, by and large, we are often actually viewed as the immoral people because people view us as judgmental, as bigoted, as haters, while others have now become the ones that are custodians of morality. I mean, even Hollywood thinks that they, they preach morality now. You know, the morality of acceptance, the morality of, of kindness, the morality of tolerance. Um, and, and Christians are being seen to be the ones that are not good, while secular and world standards cry out to say, this is what is good. Because we make it about good. What does it mean to be good? Like this young ruler, um, he stands before Jesus and he asks him, what good must I do? What is, what is your standard of good, Jesus? What would you say is good enough? Um, and, and again, I want to say this young ruler has already made up his mind in a sense, and we'll see it from the next question. And therefore, he's, he's testing Jesus. He's pulsing Jesus. What, what would you say? Um, it does it, what good do you, would you ask of me to do? Because in effect, you know, I, I've already done it. And um, so he wasn't really asking Jesus how to measure up to Jesus' standards, but he was actually more testing Jesus if Jesus would measure up to his standards. And that's where we see a great discrepancy. So Jesus' answer, and isn't it amazing how Jesus so often answers a question with a question? Because he's trying to reveal to us the heart and, and the real truth of what's going on. So this man asked, what good must I do to inherit, to get eternal life? Jesus says to him, why do you ask me about what is good? Why do you ask me about what is good? And, and I think he's doing that in a sense because he knows this young man has already made up his mind about what is good. And he, he's already considered for himself what he thinks to be good. And now he's testing Jesus. Why do you ask me what is good? If you know what is good, why ask me? So Jesus throws it back at him. But then Jesus does make a statement. 
And this statement that Jesus makes is what separates him from this young man immediately. And he says the following, there is only one who is good. Why do you ask me what is good? Jesus says, there is only one that is good. And the difference that we need to understand, why I say that this separates Jesus from the young man, there are two Belief systems are completely different is. The young man has a subjective view of what it means to be good. And Jesus has an objective view of what it means to be good. What do I mean when I say that? The young man looks at himself and determines from himself what is good. He looks at himself or he looks within mankind and he looks at what we experience and what we know, and he says, from that we will deduce what is good. From that we will make up what is good. And that, that goes right back to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's just an expression of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But he's trying to say, from my subjective experience and from the people that I know, from our subjective experience, we will define this, the following, as good. Jesus says, no, I don't look at myself to define what is good. I look outside of me at the one who is good, and by that he refers to his father. Now we know, and this is where the Trinity stuff always gets a bit interesting, but in this context, what Jesus is saying, there's only one that is good, and that is God. God is good. Now what Jesus is not saying is he's not saying that there's not goodness in people. He's not saying to this young man that this young man has no goodness in him, that there's not good that the young man is doing. But he's saying this young man is not good because only God is good. And I don't think anybody will disagree with me because it doesn't matter how good a person is, they will always do some evil and some bad. It's only God that is only good, that there's no evil in him. There's no, there's no corruption in him. He is good. That's why Jesus said there is only one who is good. If you want to see what good is, look outside of yourself. You will not discover good by your own deduction, by your own understanding. What only good that you can know is by looking at who God is. Knowing God needs to be your definition of good. That's why he says, why do you ask me what is good? There's already one that represents what is good. If you just know him, and remember this young man was Jewish, so he's supposed to know this God, and he says, if you just know God, then you know what good is. And from that place, you can determine what goodness looks like and how goodness is to be lived out in this world. But you begin by looking at the one who is good. He's, he's therefore saying, my view of goodness is not determined by me, it's by determined by who God is. And the rich young man says, no, I will determine what goodness is. This reminds me so much of people of today. People that, that are striving to be good people. That's fantastic. And, and I generally believe that in every person there's good. There's good in every person. I believe that 99% that of the people on this planet want to be good people. They, they're doing what they, they, the best they can to try and be good people. 
And we're drawn to good. We like good. It's like the young lady I heard the other day that said, you know, she believes in Jesus because he is good. And she, he, you know, he was a kind and loving and accepting guy. And then she said, yeah, there's some parts that she doesn't quite like about him, you know, where he was a bit tough and difficult. But, but she just ignores those parts and she likes, she chooses the parts where, where Jesus was good. And, and then she follows Jesus in his goodness. Is she really following Jesus? Or is she following her idea, her subjective idea of what good is and making Jesus fit into that. You see, the moment you do that, then you're not looking at the one who is good anymore. Then you are turning to yourself and you're saying, I have the ability, I have the right, uh, the right way to think about good and I can determine what is good. And that's starkly different to what the Bible says. The Bible says the heart of man is wicked above all else. The Bible says we were born in sin. And, and as Christians, we, we believe in the Bible as the word of God because we just don't trust our own ability to ultimately determine what is good. We always believe that our hearts will lead us astray and therefore we need something outside of ourselves to tell us what is good so that we can live that good. And, and we also believe that without Christ, we can't do the good even if we know it. That's the, the gospel. We are not good, but by the grace of God and the, and the work on the cross, we can become good. We can know what goodness is and we can live that goodness because we're living up to who God is. But that's not the view this Richard Ruler had. He wanted to define what goodness is. He wanted to have a say in what good is. And therefore he asked Jesus. So Jesus says to him in these, this verse, there is only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments, he says to him. If you want to, if therefore, if God is good, do what God says. Know God and do what God says, and then you will do eternal life. And so the rich young ruler comes back with a, with a little bit of a taunt almost, and he says, which ones? Which of the commands must I keep? And, and again, here we see the difference between how he views goodness and Jesus views goodness. For Jesus, goodness is a singular reality. It's one thing. Remember, he said there's one that is good. If you want to know goodness, you look in one place. You look at who God is. Goodness is a singular reality. From that singular reality, goodness becomes described. And goodness is therefore shown to us. And yes, they are commandments, but the commandments come from that singular place of goodness. The young man says, no, which one? He divides goodness up into a, a multiplicity of things. For him, goodness is a list. For him, goodness is what is good and what is not good and what is good enough and what is not good enough. And, he, and he's got a list of priorities. He's got a, he's got a list of, of laws and rules. And he says, well, if I want to be good, then I must keep a certain amount of them. Because he knows he can't keep all of them. So he says, Jesus, just, gives me the, just give me the top five rules or the, or the top 10 or the top 20. And if I can make sure that I've got these covered, then I'm good. You see, and that's how the world looks at goodness. We, we, want, we want the laws. We want to say, what, which, what must I do? Which things must I keep? And if I've, if I've, if I've got 51% of them covered, then I'm good. I've, I've, I've moved over and I'm, I'm now good. Because the balance of my life is good. Or perhaps I, I've got 10 things that are not good, but I've got one really big one that I'm good at. And therefore, I'm a good person. You know, and we try and figure that out. And that's how the world looks at goodness. We, we break it up. Jesus looks at it as one reality. Because he comes from that singular place of 
one God that is good. And every commandment is an expression or a commandment that describes, that, that practically puts out what that goodness of God is. So for Jesus, you start at the center, the one God that is good. And then it gives meaning to every commandment. The, the rich young ruler, like most people, wants to start with every commandment and find his way towards goodness. And trust that if he, if he can keep most of the commandments, then he will be good. And the problem with that is then you, you end up in a really difficult place where you try and keep every commandment. And, and I want to say that if you approach life like that, you're going to end up somewhere between legalism, which is trying to desperately keep every yacht and tittle of a command, make sure that you've got every base covered, that nothing you do you know, disqualifies you from any commandment. You're going to either be on that extreme or you're going to be on towards the extreme of lawlessness where you actually recognize we can't keep these commands. We can't do this. We can't live up to it. So I'm just going to give up on it. And most people live their lives somewhere between those two realities. Somewhere between, you know, the being, being trying to keep to the law and trying to be good and, and, and having given up on it altogether and just enjoying life. So therefore, most people today, you know, have this view of life that, um, that, that basically says, you know, uh, as, if, uh, good life is a life where you're doing what you like and it doesn't hurt anybody else. That's how we view life. That's what it means to be a good person. A good person is a person that is enjoying their life and having a great life and being happy, but they're not hurting anybody. Can you see that's like, you know, that's, that's trying to find a balance between those two extremes. There is a law. I mustn't hurt people, but I want to enjoy my life. I want to, you know, do what I want to do. But I, I recognize. And so we live in this sort of sliding scale between these two laws or these two realities and we and we and we hope that at the end of the day we've just been good enough that that we've done more good than we've done bad we've we've not hurt too many people or we've not hurt people too much how do you define it when you hurt somebody when does it mean you hurt somebody? can i ask you even how do you define when you're happy because happiness is cannot just be a feeling it cannot just be something that I feel because so often what I feel and what makes me happy puts me directly opposed to that idea of not hurting somebody. I mean, food makes us happy and we're learning about just how our habits of a food can destroy our planet. Perhaps we didn't know it, but now we do. And, and so we, we're trying to figure all of this out and what does that mean? But that's not how Jesus looks at it. That's not what Jesus said about our lives. He's saying to us, no, God is good. And if you want to be part of God, if you want to have eternal life, if you want to live up to God's standard, then you've got to be like him. And that's the difficulty. And that's what Jesus said in Matthew's ni Matthew 19, uh, uh, sorry, in Matthew 5 verse 48. He said, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly father is perfect. He said, be perfect. That's the standard. In the, in the kingdom of God, there's no good enough. There's perfect or there's failure. There's no in-between because God is good. God is not mostly good. God is not sometimes good. God is not most often good. He is good. And to be part of him, we have to be good. We have to be perfect. Jesus also said in Matthew 6 verse 22, the light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, 
Thy whole body shall be full of light. Again, this word single, where he says, if you, if you look with your eye at the singular reality of God's goodness and you live your life from there, you will be good. But if you try and break it all down into laws and commandments and try and keep those in your own strength, you will never be good enough. So, Jesus, so the young man says to Jesus, which ones? Which, give me the list. Jesus replied. Now Jesus is playing along with him. He's guiding him. He's leading him. He's respecting this young man. In another, in another one of the Gospels, it says he loved this young man. His heart was open towards this young man. So he's not, he's not trying to be difficult. He's really trying to lead him to say yes to Jesus. What does it mean to say yes? Jesus replied, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother and love your neighbor as yourself. He's quoting from the old covenant. The young man with a smile with a sense of pride, with a sense of achievement, says, all these I have kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? He's like trying to say to Jesus, come on, man, I've done all of this. And can you hear the, 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 the sense of, I've got it. And what he's actually saying to Jesus is, if that's all, I don't need you. Because look, I've got it, I've done it. So why should I listen to you, Jesus? Why, why do I need you? You're not adding anything new to the argument. You, you, you're, not, you're not helping me. Um, and, and he's saying, I've, I've got it covered, Lord Jesus. Then Jesus comes back. And in verse 21, Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect. Jesus is leading him towards that point, like I just said. If you want to be perfect, because perfect is the standard. To be accepted in God, to have eternal life, you need to be perfect. If you want to be perfect. Go sell your possessions and give to the poor. And you will have treasures in heaven. Then come and follow me. Now what Jesus does is he goes right for the heart of the issue for this young man. He knew what the point was where this young man would no longer be able to say yes to Jesus anymore. He knows that in every one of us, as good as we try and be, we all have a point where we will say no. We all have a point where it becomes too much for us. We all have something that is too dear to us, that, that we identify with a little bit too much. You see, because if, if we're not giving everything to God, then you put something else in God's place. And, and Jesus is now, he knows this young man. He knows what will trip him up. He knows what, what is his point of departure where he will move away from Jesus. So he sort of goes right for that. And he says to the rich young man, go sell everything you have and give it to the poor. Because he knows that for this young man that worked so hard, that, that put so much stock in his standing in society and in his wealth. And remember in the Jewish time, in that Jewish people of that time, they believed wealth was a sign of God's blessing. So this meant that he was acceptable to God, that he was actually in the kingdom already. That, that you know, he said, this is my identity. This is who I am. And, and he had a lot. Jesus knew that to tell this young man to sell all of that, to give that up and to go and give it to people that he may probably feel doesn't deserve it, didn't work hard enough, you know, doesn't qualify for that level of blessing, can't handle it. And to go and give it to them, it would just be too much for him. That would be a kingdom commandment that he couldn't do. So that's why Jesus says to him, just do this thing. If you want to be perfect, then do this. Because Jesus knows we cannot be perfect.
He knows that every one of us has a line that is too hard for us to cross. That is, a, there's a place that we say, no, Jesus, I cannot say yes to you in this area of my life. And, and for this young man, it was his wealth. For many people, that is the line. But for others, it will be something else. That becomes the point where we no longer want to say yes to Jesus, where it becomes too difficult for us. And then he said to him, and then follow me. Then follow me. If you, want to, if you want to work at it from that way, if you want to try and keep every law and qualify yourself for the kingdom, if you, if you think that's how you're going to be, do it, that's how you're going to have a good life and eternal life is because you're good enough, then, then I want to, you know, then do it. Because that's not possible. If that was possible, why did Jesus have to come in the first place? Why did Jesus have to come and die on a cross? Why did he have to pay the penalty for our sin? Why did he have to break the curse of the, of the law over our lives? Why did a new covenant have to come if we could do it that way? If it was just a matter of education, you know, you just got to know the law. You just got to know what it means to be good. And, and then an, an issue of discipline and just be disciplined enough, be, be, be committed enough, and then you can do it. Then why do we need Jesus? And that's what this rich young ruler is discovering. Is that while he may have done so much, he's still falling short. Like Paul says, I count everything as loss for knowing Christ, as filthy rags. And, and Paul was the same. He was in the same category as this young man. He was an excellent keeper of the law, a Pharisee of the Pharisees, as he says. He kept every commandment, the yacht and the tittle. I mean, he even was prepared to kill people and did kill people for his belief and his sincerity in his belief and his commitment to what is good and doing what he believed was good. And then recognized when he was faced with Christ on the road to Damascus, Paul recognized that he fell short and he couldn't do it. And that's what Jesus is saying to this young man. You can't do it. You need me. But the scripture continues on for us in verse 22. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus was asking too much. He couldn't say yes to Jesus. What a sad thing. And I think that it says that, that this was upsetting to Jesus because he loved this young man. When this young man walked away, I mean, he came with such bravado and confidence before Jesus, knowing that he had said yes to the kingdom. And in that encounter with Jesus, he actually recognized that he is saying no to the kingdom. And that's a horrible place to be. But can I tell you, as one of the famous preachers said once, you cannot get people saved until you get them lost. So many of us come to Jesus and we think, I've said yes to Jesus. I've got it all. Look, look at my life. Look how good I am. Look, you know, look at my, I, I attend church. I give my tithe. I, I, I try and be a good person. And I think I've, I, I've amassed enough of the rules and the commandments on my side to make a good case before God as to why he should say yes to me and, and to prove to him that I have said yes to him. But saying yes to Jesus is saying yes to recognizing that I can't do this. I'll never be good enough to God's standard. The only way is to say, yes, Jesus, I'm a sinner. I need your forgiveness. I need you to cleanse me of all unrighteousness. And I need by your spirit to come in and to transform my life, to make me become the person that you've created me to be. So Jesus said the following to his disciples. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I tell you, it is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. And by rich here, he is in this context referring to health, financial well-being. 
But it, it also includes anybody that believes they are rich in something, that they have amassed enough in some area, that they've got enough good in them that qualifies them. People that believe, I'm good enough. I, I know what good is. I know what it means to be good. And, and I've got it covered. I, I've got my list of good things and I'm trying to be a good person. Those people will be difficult for them to enter the kingdom. Because it is really humbling. It's really proud, pride destroying to bow your knee before Jesus and to say, Lord Jesus, I am not good enough and I will never be. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. And, and Jesus is literally saying it's like it's impossible for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. This is not, I know there's been the theory about this, some one of the gates and the camels had to bow down. That's, that's, that's the story, a nice story, but evidently not true. He's really saying like a camel cannot pass through the eye of a needle. So you cannot come into the kingdom if you think you're going to do it on your own merit, if you think saying yes to Jesus is because you, are, you know what it means to be good and, and you can do it, then you'll never get there. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, who then can be saved? Who then can say yes to Jesus? Who then can be included? Jesus looked at them and said, with man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. This God who is good, if you give your life to him, he makes it possible. And that's why Jesus came. And that's what it means to say yes to Jesus. So I want to ask you that question again. Have you said yes to Jesus? Have you said yes, Lord? I don't have what it takes. I'm not good enough. Have you come into that place of actually saying to Jesus, only you know what is good. Because only you are good. And I'm going to tell, let you tell me what is good. I'm going to let you define for me what is good. Or are you still standing before Jesus and you're saying, no, no, I know what is good. And, and that's what you say in the Bible in that place is not good. Now, there are good arguments and, and they're difficult portions of Scripture. But I promise you. If you really consider and read and understand what he's saying, you will come to the conclusion of God's goodness because that's the story of the scripture. God is good. He's just. He's righteous. He is holy. And that's all part of his goodness. But he is good. And if I come to God and, and, and say, no, I know what is good, Lord. You've got to live up to my idea of good before I will say yes to you then. God, unfortunately, doesn't do that. We have to come before him and put down all of our ideas, interpretations, and understanding our belief system and say, Lord, only you are good. Help me. Forgive me for my sin, for my evil. Forgive me for the sin of trying to be good enough, trying to earn my place in your kingdom. I recognize I can't do it. Forgive me, Lord. And then when I say yes to Jesus, he washes me with his blood and he restores me into that place where I'm no longer a slave to sin, but I can live righteousness. I'm a slave to righteousness and I can now begin to do what is good. But in a sense, that requires every day saying yes to Jesus. Because as I journey with Jesus, as I walk with Jesus, they will, my points of no will become uncovered. The points of where I want to say, no, Jesus, I can't do this also, begins to be revealed because of my prideful and 
selfish old heart. And every day I have to choose and say, no, I'm still living that yes that I said when I prayed and asked Jesus to be my Lord. So I want to end our time together today and say, ask you, what does it mean to say yes to Jesus? If you've said yes to Jesus, thank you. And, and I'm so thankful for that and praise the Lord for that. And can I encourage you to continue every day to say yes to Jesus, to the life of surrender, to the life of, of as Jesus said, if you want to be my disciple, then deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. Of every day denying what you think is right and good and making sure that, you, that you're living according to what Jesus' right and good is. Deny yourself. If you've been considering to say yes to Jesus, can I invite you today to say yes? I'm going to lead us in a prayer right now where you can do that. And even if you've said no to Jesus, today you may change your mind and say, no, I want to say yes to Jesus. So let's pray together. I want you right where you are. Can I ask everybody in, in every watch party, in every home, every individual, will you pray this prayer out loud with me? This is what we would typically call the sinner's prayer. Let's pray together. Dear Lord Jesus, I recognize that I am a sinner. That no matter how hard I try, I will never be perfect. I will never be good enough. Forgive me for thinking I can do it in my own strength and my own knowledge. I ask you today to wash me clean by your blood. Forgive my sin, my pride, my arrogance. And come and take up residence in my heart. I want you to be my savior. To save me. And to become my Lord. To teach me how to live every day. Thank you Jesus. Amen. If you've prayed that prayer. I want to ask you right now. The people are available. You'll see the prompts come on your screen. Won't you? Connect with them right now. You can either send an email and somebody will get back to you. Or in a live chat, you can go now and chat with somebody. And they'll pray with you and just help you. Because we want to be people that say yes to Jesus. And over the next couple of weeks, I'm going to unpack even more uh, how we live our daily lives in what it means to be say yes to Jesus. So may the Lord bless you. Thank you for joining us today. And um, we love you lots. We share things every day, things that are meaningful to us, that entertain, inspire, or challenge us. We share moments, good or bad, big or small. Because what we share matters, we have the chance to share something incredible, the hope that has transformed our lives. And today, more than ever, people are searching for hope, for connection, for meaning. The life we've experienced in Jesus is available to our friends and neighbors, and it's easier to share than we might think. Over the next few weeks, we're running Alpha, an opportunity to share Jesus with friends, family, and colleagues, in person or online. Each week on Alpha, you'll connect with each other, watch a short video, and have time to discuss thoughts and questions without needing to have all the answers. All it takes is a simple invitation. Share life, faith, hope, Jesus. Who will you invite?
Share life, faith, hope, Jesus, yes. The challenge is who will you invite? The clip you've just seen points to a course that stirs such excitement in me because everyone should have the chance to explore the Christian faith, the meaning of life and to engage in faith conversations in a relaxed relational way. Alpha offers such an opportunity and it starts tomorrow. So family, if you know of anyone who's asking life's big questions, wanting to understand the Christian faith, why not partner with us and encourage them to join Alpha? And if you're watching this and asking these very same questions, why don't you give Alpha a try? We start the conversation online tomorrow. Signing up is super easy. Simply visit our website and scroll down to the Alpha section on our homepage for the registration form and you'll immediately receive an email with all the details. I look forward to seeing you there. There's so much happening in our community and we don't want you to miss out on anything. If you're not on our email list and would like to receive electronic communication from us, use the link below to get your contact details onto our database so we can keep you connected. May the love of God strengthen you to move in His power as you face both opportunity and challenge in this season. And so from me, Ben, have a great week.